Welcome to the I Believe Podcast, an Acure Insight production, brought to you by Castle Biosciences. I'm your host, Danae Peterson, a fellow ocular melanoma survivor. Here on the podcast, we'll be sharing information and insights on treatments, research, and living with ocular melanoma. Castle Biosciences tests are designed to provide clinicians precise and personalized tumor information for the benefit of patient care. If you would like more information about how Castle is transforming the treatment of eye cancer, visit castletestinfo.com. All right, you guys, thank you for joining us on the I Believe podcast. Um, today, our guest speaker is uh, Dean, and it's, is it Whitaker? Uh, no. Wheatenhagen. Wheatenhagen. Wheat. Yes, I am yes. I am adding letters. I'm sorry. Yeah, that's there's um, plenty there. In my head, I've called you Dean Whitaker for months. It's fine. Okay. No. Okay, Wheaton Hagen. And he's actually in Arizona with me. So if you guys are familiar with the Arizona area or any of the um, eye doctors that we have out this direction, he is a patient with um, multiple different types of eye issues and cancers that he's dealt with in his lifetime. And he's actually written a book. Um, So we're just going to have a conversation kind of about his journey and his... um, the different eye surgeries and just different coping tools that he's found resources, um, and just give him an opportunity to tell his story. So Dean, thank you for being with us. Can you just kind of give us an introduction and your history and your journey with eye health so far? Sure. Um, well, uh, about, uh, in 2014, uh, my wife and I were living in uh, Des Moines, Iowa. That's where we met. Uh, she grew up here in Arizona, but, um, I had cataract surgery in both eyes, and that was just the result of uh, normal exams and needing to have cataracts taken care of. So I did that uh, over the span of maybe a month is all. And then, um, well, uh, 2017, uh, I was diagnosed with acute myeloid leukemia. I treated at Mayo Clinics in Rochester, Minnesota, because we were in Des Moines, and uh, we got rid of the cancer. It came back two years later while we were here in Phoenix, and so I treated at Mayo here in Phoenix and had subsequently in March of 19 had a stem cell transplant, and thankfully four years later I'm still free and clear. But as soon as I got out of the transplant in 19, it was about, well, April was the transplant, June, I noticed that uh, my vision in one of my eyes was uh, being shaded as if you were pulling a shade over a part of it and so forth. I rushed to uh, uh, an ophthalmologist at Mayo Clinic. Uh, She immediately referred me to Dr. Curley uh, in Phoenix and that was my first experience with Dr. Curley. And Dr. Curley, uh, of course, wanted to do the reattached surgery immediately. Uh, because one can lose your sight if you don't. And however, the cornea in that eye was so clouded, uh, she couldn't see through it to do the surgery. So she referred me to Dr. Fintelman, an eye surgeon in town uh, that does a lot of cornea transplants. And I was in his office within a day, and he was uh, replacing the cornea in that eye. That recovery was easy. Uh, I mean, you have to be careful, but it was fairly easy. Uh, and probably within within no more than a week and a half after that cornea surgery, I was back in Dr. Curley's uh, surgery suite, and she was reattaching the retina in that eye. That recovery and the surgery went well, thankfully. Uh, she's a great surgeon, uh, very personal. Uh, but the 
is the recovery is a is a real pain. Anyone that has had detached retinas, you have to you have to be face down for a week because the gas bubble in that eye pressing the reattached retina back against the back wall of the eye needs to be in place. And so uh, that was an experience. Uh, we were uh, here renting a home in Phoenix or on Scottsdale because when I had the transplant, you, I had to agree to live here for a year uh, because of your immune system is so compromised and so forth. So we had rented a home uh, in Scottsdale. And so we were in the rental home, which was, it was fine, it was comfortable. And um, I went through that week of sleeping on your face and sitting in a massage chair. Um, but all went well, thankfully. Uh, the repair uh, attached. Uh, the well, that's good. Was, yes, yeah. Yeah, it, it, and, and you know, at this point, uh, that's just, uh, well, that's four years ago, I was, uh, you know, I was 66 years old. And so, uh, uh, well, anyway, so it, it all went well. The sight was fine. I had to, you know, when you have that bubble in your eye, that just dissipates naturally and you have to not go dance by an airplane. You can't go up and can't, couldn't go drive up to Flagstaff. Oh goodness, yeah, the, the elevation changed. Uh, the elevation changed just a little bit. So we were, uh, wherever we are here in Scottsdale, a few hundred feet above sea level, not very much. That was about what I needed to stay at. But the good news is that that all went just fine. Uh, the recovery, you know, uh, you read about it, you go online, you research it. Uh, and you just stay face down for a week. It's a real, it's a, I won't say hardship. I mean, your, your recovery of your sight is at, is at stake. And so one does what one has to do. Uh, I didn't have any, uh, you know, I was, I was about to retired at that time. And so I didn't have to worry about work. I didn't have to worry about, I have a lovely wife who helped take care of me. And, uh, and that was all good. And, and you know, Dr. Curley, uh, I would have a checkup. Uh, I don't remember exactly how soon that, well, when the, when the face uh, downtime was up, I'm sure I went back for a checkup. And then I've been there for regular checkups ever since. Well, then uh, that was 2019. Uh, and I said I had had the cornea replaced. Well, Dr. Fintelman, of course, at the time he replaced that cornea, looked at the other one, and the other one was also bad, clouded. And so just uh, last year, early last year in 22, uh, he replaced the cornea in the other eye. And as fate would have it, literally a few months after that, the retina detached in that eye also. I know. Uh, so uh, back to Dr. Curley. Uh, however, Back in went, yes, I trusted her implicitly. However, she was out of country. And so I, I had a third uh, eye surgeon uh, in my future. And I think I, I'm going to grab what her name was. She was, she was great. Oh, uh, let's see, Dr. Kayser, K-A-Y-S-E-R, a wonderful uh, lady surgeon. So she reattached uh, because I had already uh, had the cornea replacing that eye. They could do the surgery immediately. She did. Now we were uh, living in a home we purchased because we decided to move here. My wife had grown up in, in uh, up at Page and had always wanted to come back to being uh, Scottsdale. Her parents had uh, retired here. And so literally when I was in uh, getting the transplant uh, in April, 
she came to my bedside one day and said, why don't we just move to Scottsdale? I said, that's fine. So we did. Uh, we bought a home. And so now I'm going through the second face down week of uh, recovery for the second detached retina, uh, the sixth eye surgery I'd had in about, uh, well, 14 to 22, so six years, the sixth eye surgery in six years. And so I recovered from that detached retina surgery here at our home. And it was certainly more comfortable than the rental, uh, but the parameters of what you need to do haven't changed. And so it's face down and sleep on your face. And I'm a, I sleep on my back, so that was really difficult, frankly. Uh, you don't get much sleep. But uh, again, I think you know one looks at your vision as all of your, uh, all the people that watch this podcast understand, it's, uh, it's paramount in our lives and uh, so important and valuable. And so you do what you have to do. So face down, uh, doctor, back to Dr. Uh, Kayser for a few checkups of that detached retina surgery. And now I'm back in the continuing care and long-term uh, help of Dr. Curley, who, uh, who I adore. And, and my vision is good. I mean, I, I have, uh, I do wear glasses, but I've worn glasses. I was nearsighted uh, late high school, so I've had glasses my whole life. Uh, but my vision is back uh, here from a state of where I could have been blind in both eyes with detached retinas to, I think my vision is around 2040. Okay. Not bad. Yeah, yeah not, not bad. bad. Especially yeah. like correctable. And, and the correctable, yeah. So, and so I'm here. And, you know, my... My experience with eye care has been nothing short of wonderful. Uh, I, I had great, I had a good surgeon uh, in Des Moines for the cataracts. Uh, Dr. Curley is top of her game. Uh, Dr. Fintelman was also uh, for the cornea transplants. Uh, Dr. Kayser uh, stepped up when she needed to for the second uh, detached retina surgery. And, you know, you. You just need to be referred, I think, and get some good referrals for some quality healthcare professionals regarding your eyes. And then you uh, you see them, uh, trust them or not. Uh, if you don't, leave. <laughs> but I trusted all mine, and, and it's just turned out very well for me. I, I, yeah. Well, I mean, six eye surgeries is incredible um it's it kind of just astounds me the the way that medicine and modern medicine modern surgery the techniques that they use um i've heard uh dr scott walter he actually is across the country in connecticut um and he talks mm. a lot about just these specialized like vitriol retina like specialized surgeons like that they are oh, they're dealing with you know the tiny eyes which come to find out as mine was removed, um, they're not as tiny as they look. <laughs> um, <laughs> no. They do have a lot of surface area that's back behind that nobody sees. Yes, they do. Um, they do. But just the, just knowing that there are surgeons who this is specifically what they train for. And yeah. um, at least in our field, like where we are as patients, we have ocular oncologists and yes. they are the people who train specifically for treating the cancer in the eye. But then kind of the double whammy of like good experts is someone who is also trained as a vitriol retina surgeon um, oh. or, you know, a retina specialist, essentially sure. Um, sure. someone who has surgical experience dealing with the eye on so many levels outside of oh. just cancer. And, and so, like you said, like finding a quality doctor and just trusting that person 
it's it's huge in your care, especially where your eyes are concerned. Um, yes. So I know you've you've had positive experiences as far as your doctors go. Do you feel like there was anything specific you did during the process of meeting these new doctors, like questions you asked or just things that you felt like were helpful to learn about this new physician you were going to be seeing who was going to be doing yet another surgery on your eyes? Um, anything yes. that you feel yeah. like helped? Because I think that well, sometimes we get in the office and we're like, okay, you want to, you want to do surgery on my eyes? And I, I don't know if I want you to touch them. Like, are you sure this is a good idea? I ask a lot of questions. I have a very good rapport with all of my eye surgeons, uh, Dr. Kayser, Dr. Curley, Dr. Fennelman. And I was always acutely interested in the process, the procedure, the possible outcomes, good or bad. I, I was always, uh, I read as much as I could about the procedures, the problems I was having. Uh, I got to know those doctors as intimately as I could within a visit or two to feel good about them. But I was always and still always uh, having this question and answer rapport with them because I want to understand it. I want to feel good about the process because I feel good about the person, the surgeon, but I want to feel <laughs> good about the process and the and the surgery. So I think that that for me was the most important thing was to establish that back and forth rapport with the doctors and really get them to help me understand the procedure, what could happen, good, bad, or indifferent, uh, and do that every step of the way before surgery, after surgery, uh, during the checkups, from then on, yeah. the whole time. I, I still ask a lot of questions. Well, you remind me of myself because I'm sure, I mean, I'm that person, like I ask a ton of questions and, yeah. and do you find that asking the questions, I mean, in, when you're facing, you know, these surgeries you've never had before or surgeries you've had in one eye and now it's like, okay, but what does this mean for the other eye? Um, cause I feel like that honestly, to me, that would be the most scary thing is like, well, I almost lost, lost vision in this eye. You did all these surgeries and it worked, but what if it doesn't happen in this eye? Um, yeah, just yeah. that kind of that fear. Um, how did you cope with, I guess, kind of that imminent fear of what if I lose my vision because of these surgeries? Because I know that in the disclaimers, that's going to be one of the things they tell you. Well, if it goes really bad, you right. might be blind. Yeah, well, uh, you know, with the cataracts, that's no big deal. Uh, with the cornea transplants, I don't know how many years they've been doing cornea transplants, but they're fairly routine these days, I believe. The detached retina surgery is a whole different uh, issue because you are going to lose your sight if you don't have surgery. I mean, it's going to happen. You can see it as the days progress. Uh, the vision, you lose it in a third of your eye, then another third, and then all of a sudden it's black. And that's the way it's going to stay unless you uh, go through the the surgery and and so really you know I, I wish I, I haven't done the research to see how long how many years they've been doing detached retina surgery but it's come a long way obviously as you said I mean you know it's a uh, it's a very specialized surgery as yours was uh, and all of those watching this or listening to this podcast but you know, they make improvements all the time in, in these surgeries. And yeah, of course. I, I really had no choice. I mean, I, I, was, I had lost vision in that eye. Uh, and then again, when the other detached retina, and my, one of my questions was, 
why not why me but is this normal to have both retinas detach and the answer from dr curly is not necessarily but it does happen what happens is as we get older the fluid in our eye the natural fluid uh, gets stickier and again i'm 70 years old now i'm i'm not wonderfully young like you but but so that's what happens is the fluid in the eye gets stickier and it actually pulls the retina away from the back wall of the eye and in that surgery you know I, again there, there's no choice I, I you're you're i was blind in the one eye by the time we got the cornea transplanted and she was able to see through it to uh, do her dirty work on the back on the inside of your eye which again when you when you start to understand how they do that surgery it's it's awe-inspiring that they can even do it they they literally stick three uh surgical instruments through your eyeball to work on the inside of your eye it's yeah, it's amazing it's, mind-blowing. it's it's mind-blowing yes so so i had you know i had no uh, i had no choice and but i always felt very confident i mean i i was always confident it's a surgery that they do quite a bit again uh it's getting better all the time and so uh uh, you know, and, and frankly, through the whole uh, AML thing, uh, because that's a fatal cancer and a transplant's the only the only way to have a chance to live, through all of that, uh, both cornea transplants, both uh, detached retinas, uh, I'm blessed to have been raised in a faithful family, and so I had, I had my faith, uh, which I could always go back to in the middle of the night, so... It, it all it all has just worked out so wonderfully well. I I, I still uh, feel certainly blessed by it all. Well, that's amazing. Um, just quick Google search. I am showing the first retina, the first successful detached retina surgery, surgery, or I guess it would be reattachment yeah. surgery. Yeah. Um, the treatment of the first retina detachment by sealing the retinal break back um, from the pigment epithelium to the choroid was in 1920 by Gonin, oh Dr. Word. Gonin. So oh it's been, word. what is that, 80, well, 100 years almost, uh, over 100 uh, years. That's fabulous. I always ask Dr. Curley, I would say, when did the first doctor say, you know, I think we can just stick stick Let's instruments just through stick their eyes. Like it's, eye. just, it's just a yeah. bubble of water. Yes, like we yes, can just, yes, we can work yes, with yes. that. Yeah, I, and and she would laugh because it's just a it's just uh, incomprehensible to me for anyone to think. Well, yes, we can go back in inside the eye and the back wall and read. I, so, well, that's an interesting fact. A hundred years ago, yeah, wow. Yeah. So there's yeah. there's a lot of improvements. Of course, yes. I think yes. it said the <laughs> other part of the Google search said that the past fifty years mark the evolution of the surgery, reaching success rates of ninety percent or higher. Oh wow! Um, so I mean, according wow. to Google statistics, we yes, have yes. you know if you if you do have a detached retina for one reason or another, yep. with, because I know like with our cancer. Um, at least with ocular melanoma, detached retina is almost always something that can happen as a result of the surgery itself and oh, the radiation really? damage, oh. or, or it can happen because the tumor itself is under the retina and it's, oh, it's sure. essentially pushing the retina up and separating it. Yeah. That was yeah. the case for me. And so in my case, you know, like Dr. Curley at least explained that a detached retina surgery could be in my future if the tumor oh. shrank fast enough. Um, Interesting. 
And but but that reattaching the retina because of the time that would pass may or may not ever have restored vision. And so it just kind of depends. But I think that just for the sake of our audience, for the sake of the people listening, anyone who does end up needing that detached retina surgery because of whatever right. happens yeah. um, in their surgical or their um, their treatment plan for ocular melanoma, yes. a detached retina surgery is when done you know by the right professional, which it always yeah. should be. It, yes. it can be very successful, and it usually 90%, is. 90%, yeah, that's great. So that's really reassuring. Um, that's, that's interesting. Yeah, no, super interesting. So yeah. let's talk briefly about just like the low vision. Um, I know you've navigated losing kind of partial sight in each eye. So as you've dealt with that, because the way that I understand the retina surgery, you have the one week of recovery, but then after that, I'm assuming your vision just doesn't come back immediately. No, no. It takes some no, time. So in that doesn't. time, what helped you um, just kind of navigate yeah. the world when you had a little less vision or a lot less vision? Yeah, what in, in the case of uh, recovery from detachment, again, the, the gas bubble in the eye is the issue. You can't see through that. And so uh, even though your head's up now after the first week, you have this haze, complete haze in that eye. And so, you know, listen, driving, uh, you and I chatted briefly about that. That's, that's a real game changer because, you know, your, uh, your, your vision is gone from that eye because you can't see. Um, you know, uh, I adapted. I, I, my wife, uh, thankfully, drove me a lot of places when I needed her to for, for a while. That bubble eventually just, frankly, dissipates. But it takes, uh, I'm trying, I was trying to remember back how long it took. I had low vision. It really, I mean, I could see light, uh, but, but all you could see was a bubble. And what's really funny is, is as the bubble shrinks and, and dissipates naturally, uh, you can actually see the edges of the bubble. Because at first, it's, you're looking through the whole bubble. And then as it gets smaller and smaller and smaller, you start to see, oh, now it's the size of an eraser. And now it's the size, anyway. That's bizarre. That would be such it a bizarre is. thing, like to see. It, it, yes, yes, it gets smaller, smaller, smaller. Yeah, yeah, that's that's what it does. Uh, and but until it's mostly completely gone, and I want to say it took more than a month, a couple of months. Um, you're just navigating with one eye. I mean, that's uh, that's the world. I mean, you can watch TV, you can read. Which I did. Uh, you can listen to podcasts like this one. Uh, you can do all those things, but driving was the most difficult. I mean, and and so again, I was lucky to uh, to have my my dear wife to uh, drive me around when I needed to be because we we kept up. Uh, we have we have physical therapy twice a, a week, and uh, I go to a chiropractor uh, anyway. Uh, so I was lucky in that sense. So the low the low vision thing, while uh, being a pain. Uh, didn't stop me much from living my normal routine. Well, I think that's powerful because I, I just know that, you know, our population almost, it's almost, almost 100%. You're going to lose some aspect of your vision just really? due to the nature of the type of treatment, the radiation damage. They do, yes. you know, they do the very best that they can as the, the doctors, the surgeons to preserve as much vision as possible. But the way that we've had a few doctors explain it is that their priorities, they go save your life as a patient, because if we don't treat the cancer, you will die. Um, whether it's in five years, 10 years or 25 years because of the size of the tumor. Um, so treat the cancer and then, 
Okay, but mommy's <laughs> mommy's on the phone right now, okay? So I'm gonna finish what I'm doing right now. Can you go out and play? No, um, I'm gonna see cats on your phone. Well, I can't show you cats on my phone right now, okay? This is fun. Yeah. No, it's fine. It's, it's fine. Paige, yeah. Paige will listen to this later, and she'll yeah. she'll either edit it out, or I'll tell her to edit it out, or we'll just leave it, and just, it'll be fine. Yeah. Um, yeah. but the they treat just the like they they treat the cancer sense. first and foremost, and yes. then the next priority is to, if possible, keep your eye, because they want your physical eye like just for the sake of preserving like keeping your immune system um up to par like just anything that they can do that does you know the least amount of harm to your body as a whole is important and then third is save your vision so vision is third on the list it's still important but it's low on the totem pole as far as the treatments go and so that can be difficult like because it just means that you know you have the one eye that works and then you have the one eye that's got cancer or been treated for cancer and you may or may not have all of the vision left or you may have lost 10 percent 20 percent 100 percent um there's there's a varying range and there's no way to know unfortunately because radiation damage and just the different damage from the the treatments can be it just varies there's no way to predict exactly how one person's eye is going to behave compared to someone's else someone else um and how one person with a small tumor who supposedly is going to end up with good vision ends up with no vision like there's no way to predict that and so that can be really scary as a patient because you you might you might be told well yes you're supposed to have vision after this and then you don't and that that can feel debilitating. So I love what you said though, about how, you know, yes, it was difficult. You knew it was temporary in your case because you knew the retina, well, eh, you trusted, you trusted (laughs) that it was temporary. You had a 90% chance that it should be okay, but that other 10%, it could have not. And you still had to go through that month and live your life and, and continue just persevering through everyday life with one eye until it came back or it didn't um and i'm sure that if it hadn't come back in either or one of one of the two surgeries that you would have just coped with it one you know one day at a time because that's all we can do yes yeah i uh i i'm very familiar with uh, damage from uh cancer treatments because the the massive chemotherapy i had uh uh, four times uh, killing the uh, aml inside of me uh, left it's Mark elsewhere. They don't, you know, doctors uh, tend not to talk about that because again, in that case, saving your life is the most important thing. Same yeah. thing. Let's, let's just get rid of the cancer. But of course, chemotherapy uh, affected my heart, my uh, liver, my kidneys, uh, my digestive system. I mean, now I'm very lucky. None of those are, are life-threatening. Uh, but it, I, I understand that, you know, treat the cancer first. Let's try and save the life because it, my AML would have taken me very quickly. Uh, and then and then let's worry about the rest of it. And I think that's how one has to go into it. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, so let's just briefly, as we kind of shift gears um, for the end of our discussion, let's, yeah. let's just briefly shift gears and talk a little bit more about um, your AML journey. And just kind of navigating this cancer diagnosis. I mean, of course you navigated these eye surgeries over the last six years, but, but before that you were navigating four years of cancer and cancer recurrence and, and just the threat of if, you know, if it comes back or is it going to come back? Um, so, um, I know you wrote your book. Um, does your book talk, you know, specifically about this journey? 
Oh, yes. Yes. That's what it's about. Uh, uh, two years. Uh, well, a year before I came down with cancer the first time in 17, my wife suffered a, a very bad brain stroke, lost the complete use of her right arm. Her right leg was vastly impaired. She could barely walk. And of course, it twists your mind into knots. We ended up, uh, it's all covered in the book. Uh, we went to China for three months in 2016. And in China, they fixed strokes. Uh, I know. It's, it's a, anyway, so the book, and then we get back, uh, and she's got her arm back. Uh, it's weak, weaker, but it's there. She walks. Uh, and her brain is much clearer. Uh, when we got back from China in July or so of 17, or 16, seven, 16, then bang, in December I get cancer for the first time. Uh, we treat in Rochester. Uh, I elect not to have the transplant because of no good donors. Two years later, the cancer comes back. We're here. I have the transplant. And so the book is a memoir. It's called, if you don't mind, it's called I Just Turned Two, uh, How I Learned to Live After Nearly Dying. And the title comes from the fact that when you have a, a stem cell transplant, you become your donor. It's called chimerism. And uh, I now have his, not just his blood type. I was A positive my whole life. Now I'm O positive. Wow. But I have, I have his DNA. I am actually, there's no more Dean Wheaton egg and DNA on the planet. And so they count your transplant date is your new birthday. So my new birthday uh, was, uh, was uh, April 19th of 2019. So I'm now four, but I started writing the book when I was two. Uh, so I just turned to how I learned to live after nearly dying. And it is that it is that period of time between when I met my wife and we were living, oh, such carefree, wonderful lives. We were, you know, we were adults, our children were grown, we traveled, we did everything we wanted to do to being slammed with the stroke for my wife, uh, and then two, time, two uh, cases of uh, terminal cancer. So it's that memoir, that journey. It's, it's, uh, I think it's a very uh, entertaining story, but also informative as to how uh, one navigates life. Yeah, no, I love that. And I really hope that our patients will go and find this book. You said, it, is it available quite yet or is uh, it, it coming? It's, it's, it's just about to be printed uh, okay. by, the, by the end of June. Uh, and uh, uh, the, you can go to my website, which is just my name, deanwheatonhagen.com, and look at, look at the, uh, the website is up right now. Uh, but you should be able to order uh, about the end of June. Uh, okay, I appreciate okay. it. I, I think it's a fascinating story. No, well, and I think that one of the best things that, that we as cancer patients across the board, doesn't matter what kind of cancer you have, one of the best things we can do for ourselves, especially when faced with uncertainty, when faced with, you know, the what's going to happen and the fear, is to empower ourselves with stories of hope. And yes. Yes. And I can't, I mean, I, I have technically stage four as my diagnosis. Like that's, that's yes. my own diagnosis because my primary tumor was in my eye and it spread to my liver and I'm oh, cancer free wow. right now. And I want yes. to stay that way. And I, I'm hoping and praying that it stays that way for the rest of my life. Cause that would be yes. like, damn, that would be easy. <laughs> That'd be yes. super easy. Yes. If that was all I had yes. to do was just one liver surgery. Like I will take it right. and I will, right. I will manifest right. that till I'm blue in the face. Yes. But one of the best things that I've done as far as just keeping, keeping my head, like as far as, you know, dealing with all of the fear of this. And like you said, dealing with a potentially terminal cancer or one that oh, yeah. statistically tells you you're going to die. Absolutely terminal. Yes. It's, 
it's it can be debilitating if you don't have those stories of hope to cling to. And so yeah, I think that I, I just in knowing that your story is one of those that people can it is, just it like. Is. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a story of uh, uh, medical tragedies, three of them, uh, my two fatal cancer bouts and my wife's brain stroke taking her right arm. And, and uh, having, I, I remember uh, before we went to China, we knew that, that was an option. And after three months of, of her rehab here in the United States, no difference, zero. She had no right arm, her leg was bad. And I thought, you know, what is life going to be like now? And this is before my cancer. Uh, but so the story is, yes, it's, it's, it's one of hope. There's hope out there. And, and uh, everybody can get through this. And the medical uh, community is improving all the time. And the eye care that I've had has been fabulous. No, oh, I love that. Um, and I think that it's, it, it just is, I mean, I don't know if you've done this. I'm assuming you probably have just because of the way that you talk. But as you go through all of these different things, right, you go through the first treatment and then then you're faced with another treatment. You're faced with another surgery. I feel like yeah. there's there's this level of in order to kind of move forward and to mentally keep your head about yourself and your wits about you, like, so that you're not just, you know, in a blind panic about, Oh, I have to have, you know, another one, another one. Um, I think that one of the best things that we do for ourselves is we just have to use our past as proof like that. Okay. I already did this. Like my wife had a stroke. I had cancer two times. I can deal with another eye surgery. Like that's, that's easy compared to all the rest of this. And I think that using our, our previous experiences, it doesn't matter if those experiences went, you know, the way we hoped they would, obviously you wouldn't have hoped to have cancer, but I think just using those experiences as proof that, okay, I navigated this. I can navigate a, B, C, D, and now here's E, F, and G. I can navigate this, this, and this. And to use the previous history as proof that, you know, we are resilient people and that we can get through things and we can get through impossibly hard things and come out on the other side. Um, and I think that, that that resilience is just, I hope, what people can take from from your story and from from your book as well. Yeah, well, it, it, that's, that's very true. Uh, I never gave up hope. Uh, I would encourage your uh, listeners never to give up hope. Uh, you know, there, uh, there, there is light on the other side, even though it may not be the light we expected to see when we, uh, when we first emerge. But, uh, but it's, it's been quite a journey, and I appreciate your efforts to, in informing people about uh, eye health, and uh, it's, it's so important. No, I, I think, um, yeah, of course eye health, but I mean, that aside, I really hope that I really hope that, that our listeners will find value in, in reading your story and in reading your well, book as it will. comes out. Um, and I don't know it's if you've hot. ever heard this, but I just you you said something just now that reminded me of this. There was a song when I, I was in choir, and I think I've even referenced this on the podcast maybe once or twice before. Um, but I'm going to quote it again because I think yes. that it is powerful. And it was yeah. uh, it was an inscription that was found on the wall of a cellar um, written during World War Two. And it's unknown who the author is, but it was it was written by a Jew in the Cologne concentration camp. Um, and I'm not going to read the whole thing, but the the main part of the song that that we sang that it was turned into music. It was this beautiful song. Um, I'll send you the recording of it because I think you sure. would, you would appreciate I, it. I would. Um, but it goes, I believe in the sun, even if or even when it's not shining, and I believe in love, even when there's no one there. And I believe in God, even if, even when he is silent. Um, and I think that 
That's beautiful. Like just that, that idea that, you know, that we can find hope. We can trust that there is light on the other side of the tunnel, even if we can't see it yet, even if we don't understand how. Um, and I think that for our patients, you know, in this cancer community, really dealing with any cancer, that's, that's one of the best things we can cling to is just the idea that even if we don't see how it's going to work out, that it can. Yes, absolutely. It's, it, uh, all of our stories, yours is one of hope, mine is one of hope. Uh, all of your listeners uh, should keep that always in their hearts and their minds. There's, uh, there's never, uh, not a, uh, a chance of hope out there. Absolutely. Well, I am so appreciative of you and just, I love this conversation. I'm glad that we got a chance to chat, to, to chat. Yeah. I'm yeah. glad we figured out some of the technical funkiness <laughs> of today. That was fun. Um, yeah. and so like you said, you said your website is Dean Whittaker or <laughs> Dean Wheatonhagen, Dean dot com, And I will put yes. that in the show notes so that our oh, listeners can find that. Yeah, uh, and then is a hard, hard name to spell. <laughs> well, it's, is it, uh, Swedish? It's, it's German. German, okay. German. Oh, yeah. Somewhere in yeah. the general vicinity. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, my, yeah. my maiden name is Westensko, so, like, it's Danish, oh, I believe, is, yes, yeah. is where it originates from. That's pretty, uh, that's it's very It's very long. I'm that's glad I got to go long, a little shorter. Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Good. Anyway. No, this has been very good. I, I appreciate the opportunity uh, very much. No, thank you so much. Thank you so much for joining us today on the I Believe podcast brought to you by Castle Biosciences. Please be sure to subscribe, and if you're so inclined, send this episode over to friends, family, and share on your social media to help spread awareness around OM. If you have a moment, leave us a brief review or consider making a donation to the links in the show notes to keep our podcast going. Feel free to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at Insight. We'll see you next time on the I Believe podcast.